You are listening to the WBA Report podcast. For news, views and all things Albion, follow at WBA Report on Twitter and check out WBAReport.com. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 16 of the WBA Report podcast and it's finally here. It's the end of the season. Our prayers have been answered and we can now look forward to moving on from what has been the most depressing, confusing and uninspiring season since the 2020-21 season. Um, I mean, jokes aside, it is a relief. Uh, A rebuild is theoretically on the cards. The slate is getting wiped clean and a fresh promotion bid begins in just a few weeks time. But before all that, we have the small business of the prestigious WBA Report Awards Ceremony. But that's only once we've done a deep dive into this past season, covering all the major talking points of what has happened, is happening, and what will happen at the Hawthorns. My name is Ronan. You can follow me on my increasingly inactive Twitter account, at Ronan T. Giorno, and donning their tuxedos this evening to join me at the awards ceremony are the Jay Rodriguez and Dwight Gale of West Brom Podcasting. Matt, the too good for this level fan favourite Jay Rodriguez to Louis on loan difference making Dwight Gale. They just link up so well in a non-promotion championship season. Now, sadly, Kieran was unable to make it tonight. So we have dialed that L and Louis picked up. So thank you so much for coming on, mate. I really appreciate it. Um, how are you? How's how's podcasting been going since our last collaboration? Yeah, I'm I'm very well, thank you. And thank you very much for inviting me back on the show. Uh, coming in with my head hung in shame after the the quiz defeat I was on for last last time but yeah the podcasts are going are going pretty well in comparison to, to Albion's season it's been it's been nice to kind of fill out what what I'd consider to be the the first proper season with lots of different guests on for for, for my podcast but no it's, it's it's been nice to try and put a positive touch on things but yeah overall that there hasn't really been much to tear about and, and hopefully that changes next season but yeah it's great to be back on the show guys. Well, it's always a pleasure to have you on, mate. And I don't want to hear any of this negativity about that quiz. You put up a hell of a fight against somebody who, well, frankly, is is the man to beat when it comes to West Bromwich Albion trivia. The, the quizzing on show from both of you was stupendous. And I'm sure if fans listen back, they would agree. Um, talking of which, Matt, I'll be honest, this, this, this feels like a seminal moment for this podcast with our first ever awards ceremony. Um, why do you think this ranks in the podcast to young history? Which other landmarks on the podcast stick out to you from this season? Well, you, you're right, mate. It's definitely up there. I think you can't ignore our, our Christmas quiz. It was really sort of the El Clasico uh, of West Bromwich Albion quizzing, uh, as far as that, uh, I suppose, <laughs> as, as far as um, West Bromwich Albion quizzing do go. Um, <laughs> I think our team in the 21st century uh, does also take some beating. One particular shout always comes to mind there. Um, not sure who provided that, but maybe it'll be mentioned later on in the episode. Stay tuned. Uh, and I think <laughs> just, you know, enjoying, uh, you know, such a, a bleak season, thanks to you know, your uh, and Kieran's entertainment, mate, and, and, and connecting with you guys. It's been a, it's been a real pleasure. So yeah, that's, that's just the podcast as a whole is, is a real highlight for me. Yeah, I second that. It's been it's been so much fun, and this started out as just something to to keep us going and to you know maybe get any kind of potential journalism careers um, on the right track. And I think it's certainly done that. Um, I see that you and Kieran are doing really well with with your endeavours in journalism, and it and it's great to see. I've had so much fun with it. 
Um, I would also say shout out Ollie Westbury for being the first kind of, I say real guest, and that's no disrespect to you, Louis, because I feel like you're part of the family here. But he was he, he felt like um felt like a big deal having someone that we could really interview. Um, but of course, we have got the man himself, Louis, on today. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Louis Bent underscore. And we've got a shout out at the Baggy Pod too, which is a brilliant podcast with fantastic guests and an even better host. Yeah. Um you can also find Matt on Twitter at Matt underscore sport. Um, and I think with all that brown nosing out of the way, if you two are happy, we have got a metric ton of content to work through. So I say we get stuck into today's episode and to kick things off, I'm going to hand over the hosting reins to Matt, who will be uh, leading the recapping of this season and, uh, and talking about everything that has happened all the way back in August to present day. So without further ado... Matt, take it away. Yeah, so thanks, Matt. I thought, you know, with it being the final episode of the season, it's just fitting to go back and, and, and look over what has been a truly dismal campaign. But if we do go all the way back to August, um, there was positivity, wasn't there, Sarah Albion? Of course, we had been relegated under Sam Allardyce. Uh, you, you know, mood around the club wasn't great. That was before Albion appointed Valerian Ishmael. The ideology of, of a long-term appointment was something that Albion fans had really been lusting for, if that makes sense. Um, so it was almost like a, a new era at the Hawthorns. And I think you could probably say it got off to a positive start for sure. Of course, we be, uh, began the season with a hectic, uh, I've described it as 2-2 draw at Bournemouth. I think all the way back to uh, the opening day. I can't really remember who scored for Bournemouth, of course. O'Shea and Robinson got the goals in there for Albion. Um, so... Yeah, I, th- I think the performance as a whole, uh, and I, I imagine you, you, you'd agree, Ronan, it, it, it encouraged Albion fans. And at that time, end-to-end, goal-mouth goal action, uh, dangerous set-pieces, everything that I suppose we hoped Ishmael would bring, the signs were there from that game. 100%, mate. The, it, it was like a, a game of basketball. It was so end-to-end. Um, I thought the atmosphere down at the Vitality looked brilliant too. As a, as a curtain raiser for the Championship, it was such a great advert for the league. Um, I totally believed at that point that this Ishmael appointment was the one. Um, we thought we'd missed out on Chris Wilder. I thought this was a, a surefire hit based on that first game and even th- the stretch from August onwards, really. Um, it is a shame how it ended, but there's no denying that there was positivity. There was all the right signs, as you were saying, from that first game. Just a shame we couldn't keep it going. Yeah, uh, of course. But in terms of you know that, that August and, and the first month of the season... You couldn't really complain. Uh, we eased past Luton, Blackburn, and especially Sheffield United, a thumping 4-0 win. All three teams would, of course, go on to be playoff contenders. Uh, and the month ended with absolute scenes at Peterborough. How can we forget? I'll just throw it out there. The god of football, Semir Jay's <laughs> 90th minute uh, winner. <laughs> um, and, of course, Valerian Ishmael sprinting down that sideline to celebrate with the Albion fans. It might be a bit of an exaggeration to actually go there but Louis was that sort of as good as it got for the season some I've seen some fans say you know we've been on a downward sort of spiral since Peterborough and that was at the end of August oh I I absolutely love that winner from Chemi Ajay that was I think that's probably one of my favorite moments of the season I was actually I was in Edinburgh at the time with with my girlfriend and her family and we're in the middle of a pub and I had it on my phone 
And I, I could not control my excitement. I was quite literally running around the table, squee squealing and whatnot. But yeah, I think it was a it was a great moment. And I, yeah, it really did all go downhill from them. And, and you look back at that first month of the season, and you just think what it could have been if maybe Ishmael adapted a little bit more and, and adapted his play style uh, in comparison to to the opposition who were adapting their play style to to, to suit uh, or to counteract our style of play. It's yeah, but the the limbs at Peterborough. Uh, we're, we're outstanding and Ishmael running down the touchline. I think that embodied one of the things that I think a lot of us liked about him, which was which was his passion and uh, his commitment to the cause. But yeah, it really was downhill from there, unfortunately. Yeah, it, it does sort of beg the question, where did it all go wrong from such, I suppose, incredible scenes, scintillating scenes? As you mentioned, Louis, something which the Albion fans loved and it was great to see. I'm not digging out Big Sam for... For, for doing this. However, quite a few Albion fans took, I suppose, issue to him you know, slump back in his uh, managerial mm. seats and not really showing too much action on the sideline, despite being um, what he would describe as a pensioner, wouldn't you? So that's probably a bit unfair to uh, criticise Sam for that. However, yeah, great great to see uh, Ishmael. And it sort of became a meme, didn't it, um, throughout a period of time. But as we did move into September, the disgruntlement began to show. Uh, results dropped off, I suppose, from what uh, a, a draw and uh, three three wins. It, well, drawn four wins. Sorry, as we as we uh, missed out on uh, victories against Derby, Millwall, and Preston. However, uh, our unbeaten run remained intact following victories over QPR and Cardiff. The latter a four nil win. The, we actually went on our longest uh, unbeaten start to the season, I believe. Was it 10 games, 10 or 11 games? And, you know, as, as, as you alluded to, Louis, there was really positive signs at the start. How optimistic were you at this stage? Well, I can hold my hands up and say, yeah, I thought so. I'd definitely um, imagine we'd be in the promotion hunt at that point. Yeah, the, the games against, I think the game against Millwall was the one where I was kind of, and, and then obviously following on with that with, with Preston, I think Derby, we were quite unlucky in that game from what I remember. I think we, we really did pepper their goal and got, had quite a few chances and, you know, the clinical striker maybe finishes those off. The Millwall game was the really big one that kind of raised a couple of alarm bells in my head. But then obviously we beat QPR. Maybe we did, we were a little lucky. I think there was a goalkeeping error in that one. And then Cardiff, we, we, we romped past them away from home. So, yeah, I was quite optimistic still at that point. The, as I said, the alarm bells did start to, to, to flash a little bit when, when we played Millwall because we saw that they kind of sat back against us and obviously Preston did the same and that kind of, both of those kind of set the set the precedent. I suppose with Peterborough, the, the same as them really, although we did get the win in that one. But, you know, Millwall and Preston, I think they kind of set the precedent for the rest of the league to kind of play that way, hit on the break and and sit deep when, when defending. So, yeah, I was still optimistic, but I, I, I dare say I was maybe seeing a little bit of a, a crack in, in Ishmael's uh, plan. And uh, obviously I wasn't to know that he wouldn't change at all. And my thoughts at the time were, oh, he'll just change, you know, he'll just adapt the system and it'll, it'll work out fine. But no, how wrong I was. But yeah, I was definitely optimistic at that stage, to say the least. I was, I thought, you know, I thought we were as good as up, if I'm honest, by that sort of point. Yeah, I'm guessing you were in the same boat too, Ronan. Yeah, I think I was. I, I think what September really kind of proved to the fans was, um, that whilst the results would tell one story, the performances were saying another thing, um, especially against QPR. We were really, really bad for um, portions of that game. And as we'd found out, you know, teams had found us out. Um, you can say that we're unbeaten at this point, 
and I was definitely up to it. I mean, I would even argue that that, that Cardiff win was the high point. It was like we were capable of dominating teams on our day, but when it wasn't our day, um, yeah, our, our role was definitely starting to slow a bit. So I think it was almost in the balance. Um, were we going to kick on and was this going to prove to be a bit of a blip when we were playing badly? Or were the performances going to start to drop off and therefore the results would start to drop off? Well, clearly it was the latter. But if you take me back to the end of September, I probably would have argued otherwise. I, I thought we were going up at this point. Absolutely. Yeah, as you alluded to, there, the results did start to drop off and it's fair to say we experienced a poor um, October, which which began with our first defeat of the season at Stoke, undoubtedly a deserved one too. Stoke missed a penalty, didn't they, before Nick Powell actually um, broke the deadlock. A poor away form on the road continued with defeats at Swansea uh, and Fulham. I think that's when the doubt certainly emerged on have we got promotion credentials, have we got um, a manager capable of delivering promotion but again, you could say those, those sort of concerns were eased uh, with a 3-0 win against Bristol City. Uh, Ronan, I, I mentioned the away record there. That was something which uh, I think you could even say cost Ishmael his job uh, eventually because we went on a horrific uh, run away from home. And that's where we lost ground on um, the top two, really. And I hate to say I told you so, but I remember we were previewing that Fulham game and it, we had, obviously at this point, lost to Stoke away from home and, and then lost against Swansea. Um, and I did say, you know, this is a really tough place to go. Obviously, Craven Cottage, it's one of the best championship teams we've seen in a few years now. And to go there when you've already lost two on the bounce, when it becomes three, how easy is it to become four, five, six? And it did just start this run, which I, I would absolutely say cost Ishmael his job because the home form was still promotion worthy. The promotion form, um, sorry, that the home form was as good as any team that's already been automatically promoted, we would have been in the top two if we could have played that well away from home, but we just couldn't get it going. A mystery to me as to why. I still don't know what the answers are, um, but clearly Ishmael couldn't work out either and it did cost him his job. There's, there's no doubt about that in my mind. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. I think, Louis, you made a good point in terms of seeing Preston and Derby sit back against us. Do you think that is why we did struggle away from home? Yeah, I know. I think it's a lot difficult when you go to another team's place. But then again, I think that Ishmael's side is well, style of play was supposed to be suited for maybe an away from home game. Uh, you you go to another team's ground, you expect uh, most of them to dominate the ball. But they, as 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 you said there, you know, a lot of teams saw the the performances of Derby, Millwall, Preston, and were kind of like, oh, this is how to play. I still think Stoke, uh, the the uh, away game that we lost, the first game that we lost of the season, I, I still think that's one of the better performances we've we've that that have been played against us this season. I thought that um, that that Michael O'Neill got things tactically spot on, and as you said, it could have been. I think it could have been two or three in the end. I think obviously they missed that penalty, but I think they had another chance as well. Um, yeah, I still think that's one of the better performances of the season. But yeah, as you said, it, it kind of those sort of performances kind of set a precedent for for ways to play. And I think that sort of mental block around away games that that sort of became clear to us was 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 well was becoming clear to us at that sort of point in the season. So yeah, it was really disappointing to see to see that sort of uh, run set in. And obviously, the Fulham loss was was particularly frustrating. Uh, and same with the Swansea loss, because I think Swansea could have been quite a few more if they had more clinical players in, in their forward areas, because they got in behind every time they tried to they tried to attack. And I think Russell Martin kind of exploited the high line. And yeah, it's, it, the away form has, has not really got 
much better since, I'd say. I think we're still pretty dismal on the road. But as you said, home form, as Ronan said, home form is still would, would probably still be promotion worthy. But yeah, it's a shame to see it go that way, really. It's a good point about Swansea. Uh, well, you mentioned Swansea and how many times Joel Perot was actually caught offside, rightly <laughs> or wrongly. And I'm not sure if, if the decision was always the correct one before he eventually ended up scoring for Swansea. And, you know, the amount of times he's on that shoulder on the last man, it sort of gave teams a blueprint to, of how to play against Albion. But you could also say that for uh, Stoke. And you, you mentioned Marco O'Neill. I think he played with three in the middle. Uh, against Albion's two, and it completely, uh, completely dominated us. And that was, the, that I suppose, you could say, those are the first sort of signs of Ishmael's unwillingness to adapt to the situation, and because Stoke uh, ran riot against us. Um, and finally, it's, a good, it's, a, it's another good point you, you mentioned about going away, uh, away from home with, on paper, the style of football supposedly suiting uh, away matches. I would personally argue that uh, that's the difference you get of a club Albion stature when you're managing Barnsley. Um, you can't really argue that in this league we're most teams cup final. And that's, I don't think me being arrogant, I don't think uh, Albion fans can be really blamed for saying that, but we are one of the bigger teams in this league and we're a team that should be going for promotion um, every season. So that is why I think you would find, and we did find teams setting up in a way which we couldn't really counter as opposed to uh, Ishmael's time at Barnsley. We'll move on, as I said, a dismal November. Definitely a, a positive moment we can look back on. Taylor Garner-Hickman's debut against Hull in a 1-0 win. Ronan, uh, I think we could tell from the off, he was uh, he's a, he's a promising talent. Yeah, I mean, that game against Hull was not a classic by any means. And all you could hear, all you could read on Twitter, all you could hear from different podcasts that you would listen to about West Brom was, hey, there's a, there's a special lad who's... He, to be honest, has outplayed Darnell Furlong at right wing back within one game. He was just superb. And we did actually mention, it might have even been on the last podcast, how much of a talent this boy is. I rate him right up there um, in terms of the best that I've seen in, in my time as an Albion fan coming through the academy and making a difference straight away. Um, the way that he makes us a better team and the way that he transformed us when Steve Bruce took a chance, it's, it's, it was like a new signing. And the fact that the fans knew that this player was special from these performances back in November, especially that debut against Hull, and the fact that he couldn't break into the first team. Frustrating in, in one sense, but also a blessing knowing that actually, hey, the fan base knows what they're on about when it comes to, when it comes to Albion football. And um, also the fan base knowing that an academy player is the player to make such a massive difference to this team. Um, I think I need to be careful that I don't overhype him because this time next year, he, he could put in some pretty... Uh, you know, ragged performances. And I think I think we could kind of put too much pressure on him and he could crumble a little bit a la Marcus Rashford, you could argue, this year. So um, I want to take a step back and just say, keep doing your thing, Taylor. We love you. Um, I can see him being the, the face of the club for, for some time to come now. And I think, actually, if you, if you look at the social media from West Brom, they're definitely pushing him as that. But he's got the talent to back it up. I think we've got a real player on our hands here. I, I love Taylor Gardner-Hickman. Yeah, I think every yeah, Albion every... fan would be inclined to agree with you there, Ronan. But we go from young to ancient uh, and reflect on the time that Albion fans were probably the last bunch of supporters to see Neil Warnock on a football pitch uh, in a 1-1 draw against Middlesbrough. Quick word on, uh, on Neil. What a servant to the game, eh? Yeah, a, a, a fantastic manager who I think sometimes people forget how, how great he is because of how much of a character he is. Um, 
you know, just the, the anecdotes that he walks around with signed photographs of himself in a, in a fanny pack, which says, be lucky, kneel on it. It's just, it's just pure theatre in the most English football league way. He's, he's such a caricature of, he's kind of like the Alan Partridge of football managers. Um, and he's a throwback to the old school. So many fan bases across the country that have seen Neil Warner do brilliant things at their club and, as an outsider, sometimes he's a figure of ridicule in, in the most kind of affectionate way possible. Um, but if you ask those fans that have been managed by Neil Warnock, they'll tell you he's a tremendous manager and he's brought out a lot of promotions, a lot of good times at a lot of different clubs. So nothing but respect uh, to Neil and I hope he enjoys his retirement. Yeah, Lou, it's completely unrelated and you probably didn't expect to be asked, uh, asked, asked about Neil Warnock, but do you have any fond memories of, of that last that last game? Seeing him wave goodbye to the Middlesbrough fans. It's quite an emotional one. It's a picture of yeah, him. That, it's that, heartbroken, doesn't he? Yeah, that was um that was the, the, the game I was I was fortunate enough to be in the press box for. And it was really funny watching all the sky reports, because obviously when he was doing his post-match interview, the news kind of was was put out by the social media team, and you watched all the sky microphones and all the sky reports run down to try and catch like a sort of last word with him because I think there was an assumption that that might be his last job in football but yeah I, it was I think I remember saying on the podcast I think he was proper play acting and you could kind of tell that there was something a little bit different about how he was acting in that game and he was like he was properly like messing about with the linesman on the touchline I think he actually ran on the pitch at one point to contest a decision yeah classic Warnock and yeah I, I know I've you know, Albion fans probably shouldn't like him, and but uh, deep down, I, I do have a little bit of a soft spot for him. He's he, he's such a funny man, and the Guardiola slash Neil Warnock compilations that I that I saw on Twitter the, the other day when he retired were were, were something special. And and yeah, he, he's a, he's he's a great football man, and I'm sure he'll be missed by many in the community. That's really interesting to hear you in the in the press box that day with the sort of whispers that he'd been sacked because if I recall it correctly, it was actually on the morning where an exclusive, someone like the Daily Mail actually put out that, he, that he'd been sacked. I think Chris Wilder must have been lining up the job well beforehand. Did you hear from any of the Middlesbrough reporters? Was there anyone in there uh, sort of, you know, <laughs> spreading information, if you get what I mean? Yeah, there was kind of a feeling that he could go. I, I don't know if it was particularly settled to be after that game. Mm. Um, and I'm not sure but then I think halfway through that game I said as I said he started acting a bit more funnily than normal and people started to whisper about like what, what's he doing I mean he's been Neil Warnock times 100 here at the moment so there, there's obviously something going on so there were some whispers that he could go after the game but there wasn't really a you know massive certainty that he would and obviously that announcement did come as a little bit of a I suppose a, a surprise in a way because they didn't expect it to be at that time you know during his post-match press conference so that's I suppose why everybody chased after him down the touchline to try and get that last that's that, that that final word from him which looks like it's probably going to be his his, his final one really as a, as a football manager everyone loves a pantomime villain I think you don't have to say any more than that so there you go Neil you've had you've had your uh your dedicated section I think November was where our goal scoring troubles uh, began to really become clear uh, especially with games against Huddersfield and Blackpool, uh, a defeat and a draw on the road. I think to Blackpool especially, and, and quite a few chances, Grant had a couple, and we ought to have at least got, a, uh, I suppose, three points in one of those two games. And then going into December, 
you're thinking, oh, is it, is it make or break already? You know, we need to find the back of the net to keep up with the top two. And I think, you know, you almost thought we were getting there again and we were back on track. Victories against Coventry and Reading, the latter, uh, you know, with a heavily depleted side. I also think secured our longest home unbeaten streak. I could be wrong, so don't hold me to it. And, and that's something in itself, wasn't it, Ronan? Uh, that home record outlined our strengths in terms of defensively and how solid we were. And it was at home where we did manage to uh, break teams down eventually, despite not playing too well. So it was an impressive uh, achievement and one you can't really take away from Valerian Ishmael. Um, so, yeah, you can't take it away from Ishmael. But I think as a fan, th- there's a couple of things here. One is that at, at this point in December, there was so much... I think there was just so much concern about wh- where the club was going and, and how bad the performances are, how bad the style of football was. Um, I think I was definitely on Ishmael's side during all of this. I still thought that um, maybe there's a way that we could turn it around and maybe we're a bit trigger happy with managers, so we need to show them a bit of patience. But that statistic of having such a long home and beaten streak was definitely lost, not only within the way that we were playing, and the disappointment in the fan base of where things were going and, and where they were heading, but also the amount of points we were dropping away from home. Um, when you're a fan, I think you're only as strong as your last couple of games. And when you're winning at home or you're edging out a draw at home and then you're losing away, suddenly the home games don't feel as special. Suddenly they're getting dragged in with all the bad feeling that's going around with the away games. So, yeah. On on paper, we might look back at this record in a few years' time and be like, oh, yeah, what a great season that must have been. You know, how, how well we must have been doing it. Oh, we must have been loving it by then. But actually, I don't think we were. I think, you know, in a very cliched way, it kind of flatters to deceive. Um, but I think also the reason we're not doing so well, it's hard to put that on Ishmael. At this time of the, of the season, back in December, how often were we just pointing and, and laughing, if not crying, at Jordan Hugill and players like that? who are putting in dreadful performances. And I mean, Sean Hugel is a, is a special kind of, of poor footballer. The fact that he is contracted to or was contracted to a Premier League club, absolutely hysterically funny. Now he's not at our club. Yeah, sad at the time, funny now. Can we put a great... Uh, can, we, can we say that the great run is because of Ishmael at home? Probably. But could you say that the bad feeling around the club was, was up to him, but also up to the players? Absolutely. Definitely shared blame, but... Um, I would single out praise for Ishmael for doing as well as he did at home. I really would. It's interesting to hear that perspective because I suppose we could easy to have got lost up in all the hate, probably the wrong word, but the criticism, which we can't deny was deserved. Um, And Albion fans rightly vented towards Vileo and Ishmael. And I'm also glad you mentioned Jordan Hugel, a name that I'm sure will pop up in our award ceremony later on. And uh, his deficiencies, let's say, really came to the fore after those uh, those results against Coventry and Reading, we failed to beat soon to be relegated Barnsley and Derby County away from home. And Louis, it was that Barnsley game, especially where Hugo's Albion uh, career was was epitomised, wasn't it? Really by a by a really bad missed chance and a, and a hopeless showing in general. Yeah, it was. It was at that point where I was like, is he is he ever going to score again? Like in his football career can I see him grabbing another goal or two I, I was really seriously starting to doubt that let alone in Albion Colours and so he went to Cardiff and scored like three in three in his first like 10 games or something like that and we all kind of thought wow he can actually score a goal but no that Barnsley game along with I think that that Forest game as well that he skied the ball over the bar I think those were two 
pretty harrowing moments for for Jordan Hugelin and Albion shirt. And although, yeah, I can't question his work rate, but as as Ronan said, he is a, a special kind of footballer. And I don't think I'm going to say this with you know touch wood and all that. I don't think we'll see a striker as bad as that uh, at the Hawthorns again for some time. And that's just me being optimistic because you never know with our recruitment, really. Yeah, I can't argue uh, with that. I mean, it's indicative of our recruitment that you'd have to argue strongly that Hugel isn't the worst striker on our books or wasn't at the time because obviously we had Zahor. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, that, that speaks volumes, doesn't it? Um, but oh yeah, I, I, I just get PTSD of, of, of Jordan Hugel missing chances, and um, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't wasn't a great uh, wasn't a great signing, was he? And I suppose it was compounded by the fact he scored on his debut for, for Cardiff City, and he's uh, given Alvin a few digs, hasn't he, on social media uh, after after leaving Liverpool? What, what's your sort of reaction been to his more prolific form at Cardiff? Yeah, I've, I've, I, but I think. Um... You know, I've said I've I've seen him get hammered because obviously he's going back to Norwich and said goodbye to the Cardiff fans the other day. And I saw quite a number of West Brom fans in the comments of that that particular tweet. He said something about having thanks for all the fans for giving me a chance. And a lot, I saw a lot of comments that were saying like we we did give like Albion fans did give you a chance. You just missed them all, which is quite which I, I found quite <laughs> funny. Uh, there were there were quite a few of those in the comments, and I think there was there might have been a cheeky ratio as well for for all the Twitter <laughs> users out there. But yeah, I, I, yeah, he can. He, I suppose he's more than welcome to give his digs because we did give him a lot of stick. But his footballing ability on the pitch did did not match the kind of confidence that he came out with on social media at all. But fair play to the lad. He's clearly he's clearly a confident guy and, and believes he can play at this level. I'm just not convinced that uh, 24 other champion, well, 23 other championship clubs are, are convinced by that uh, either, to be honest. It wasn't it just typical that I mean I'm not sure if he scored on debut, but he scored very soon after signing for Cardiff. Um, and I do have mates that are Cardiff fans, and I warned them, and I felt a bit stupid that you know he was making a difference straight away. And I think they were very tongue in cheek saying, "Oh, he's a brilliant striker, he's a brilliant striker." It's you lot that that don't know how to get the best out of him. Um, and fair play to Steve Morrison for the job he did at, at, at Cardiff with with Jordan, because the fact that he scored more than a single goal for the rest of the season is is pretty special. Um, yeah, it, it, it is funny to me that he's like, oh, you weren't given a chance. We gave you a thousand minutes of football. We gave you a thousand minutes of football. You had an XG personally of something like seven, but no, it would be the fans that didn't give him a chance. That's why he was missing all those great, uh, great opportunities. Yeah, he, he does feel like a bit of a fool. I mean, I immediately had the ick when it came, and I hate, I hate the phrase of the ick, but for want of a better phrase, he gave me the ick when I saw that West Ham. Oh, I can't wait to go out and be here in front of all you fans <laughs> and all the balls. Oh, bore off, mate. What an absolute dweeb. Um, yeah, if you're going to score goals and behave like that, fine. But if you're missing chances and you're going to be that flat-out cringe, leave it. And and and, and leave the, the, the Twitter, like, uh, the indirect, the, the subtle digs at the West Brom fans out of it as well, mate. Don't don't put your poor form on them. Hopefully, hopefully for his sake, he can, you know, keep stealing a living in the championship. But I definitely feel a Sam Vokes-esque League One journey. <laughs> In his future, um, yeah, he, he's not it. And I, I think he needs to wind his neck in a bit. We're down in the dumps, weren't we, after Hugel's performances? And, you know, it almost seemed like we couldn't buy a goal. However, our frowns were certainly turned upside down. And yours especially, Ronan, 
as a lead member of the uh, Daryl DK fan club when Albion announced the signing of Daryl DK on New Year's Day. What a start to 2022 was that um, sort of un- unheard of from a from an Albion perspective. It seemed like a massive yes. moment, didn't it? Not only for Albion, for Valerian Ishmael as well. He got his man. It was so un-Albion like. Instead of leaving a big signing until deadline day, we get them in right at the start of the month. It was a guy that we had had our eyes on in the summer. It had kind of been the completion of this transfer strategy that we were going to have somebody like Jordan Hugel in on loan until we can bring in DK and he's going to fire us into the playoffs and into automatic promotion. Everything was coming together. Now, I was obviously ecstatic. It's also very unalbian like because he's pretty unproven in the championship. Yeah, he had those six months or whatever, but you know, we like going for, for name value. We've taken a risk. We, we've spent decent money, money that we're not used to spending in the championship. He's young. You know, there's so much potential there. There's so much upside to signing somebody like Daryl DK. I just, I was blown away that we were actually going to do it. And it just seemed like it was going to work out so perfectly. We were going to bleed him into the team slowly. You know, we had not just the transfer strategy in place, but we had the, the playtime strategy to make sure that he didn't, he didn't get injured. How hilarious now looking back that that all backfired. As much preparation as you want to put into something like this, you just never know how it's going to go. And I do feel so bad for Ishmael because in a parallel universe, Daryl DK scores the winners against Cardiff or QPR or, um, you know, he bags a couple against Peterborough and we, he just pulls away and he just has another kind of freak run in the championship and and suddenly all is well and we're finding it out in the playoffs and we're, we're pushing Bournemouth all the way to, to get an automatic place. So things definitely weren't perfect. Daryl DK definitely sounded as though he was going to be the solution. But hey, we are where we are now and I just hope that... Um, in the, in the summer, he can get himself fit. He can get his head right. Steve Bruce can get the best out of him and he can push on and, and take us to the next level because I think he's got that kind of potential. We just need to see it in action. Does it concern you at all, Ronan, that you know we've got the man in charge of Daryl DK who uh, was playing Joel Linton as a, as a target man at Newcastle and you know Joel Linton's gone on to prove, prove, prove to be under Eddie Howe, you know, one of the most effective sort of um, ball-winning midfielders in, in, in the league. Does that concern you at all that you know, we've gone from Ishmael and his die-by philosophy and structure? We've gone to you know, good old Brucey. Yeah, obviously it worries me and my, my worries don't begin and end with Daryl DK. It's um, pretty all-encompassing when it comes to Steve Bruce, given, given what I've seen. Um, but I, there's, there's also a part of me that, that knows that Steve Bruce in the past, although I can't give you an example, surely he's made one decent striker. Surely there's been one kind of diamond in the rough that he's polished up and turned into a half-decent player. Again, couldn't couldn't name who that player is, but there's just a part of me that's like, if Steve Bruce, if you've been kicking around this long, mate, and you keep getting offered jobs like this, you've got to have done something. But hey, we will just have to see. Um, let, let's see where we are in October and let's see where Steve Bruce is in October because... Um, yeah, it could be that the man to get the best out of Daryl DK isn't the manager of West Bromwich Albion right now. Well, hey, something we can't deny whatsoever is Steve Bruce is a really good man manager and he's a very likeable man. So let's just hope that's all DK needs, an arm around his shoulder. He can uh, go, and, go and do the rest when he's back from injury. 
But as, as we've talked about there, it was uh, the, the start that all Albion fans dreaded for DK. Uh, he was revealed to the crowd um, during a, a, a 1-1 draw against Cardiff City, then made his debut at QPR, where Charlie Austin, of all people, netted a late winner for the hoops. <laughs> yeah, so that was uh, more pressure on Valerio and Ishmael. He needed his, his, his man to deliver. Um, you know, giving him a couple of weeks to get fully fit after signing, um, dust off that jet lag and, and get going against Peterborough. And then, of course, he pulls up. Was it a hamstring injury to, uh, to begin with? I think could be wrong there. Uh, but Darren DK's injury against, against Peterborough did mark a 3-0 victory that you could argue would have kick-started our season. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just awful looking. I suppose you can argue that you said, Roman, in, in, a, in a parallel universe, DK scores the goals, and that, that could, could have left us in a really positive position. Myself, Louis, I, I said to my girlfriend at the time, that's our season over when DK went off injured, presuming the, the injury was a serious one. Do you think that was right on reflection, or do you think that you know, we could have done a lot better even in DK's ab- uh, absence? Yeah, like you, Matt, I was, I was a bit like, right, that's a mass. I maybe didn't say season over because I, I, I'm I'm so optimistic. It's it's just disgusting how how much I'll back even this group of players to to do to do something unthinkable. But you know, uh, I think DK could have made such a difference for us, and I think he would have had he have stayed fit. He, you know, from. I am another member of the Daryl DK fan club, as was the first uh, time I came on the podcast. We were just talking about how he'd come into the club and yeah, we were very much um, Daryl DK fans, but yeah, I think, I think um, we, we, we should have done better without him. There's, there's no doubt about that. The amount of chances, the amount of lifelines that we've had to even muster up a playoff place, uh, even over the past probably three or four weeks, we've had to, to get into a playoff place. I think it's ridiculous considering how poor uh, our squad has been, but I suppose that's testament to to the standard of the division this year, and that's why we've been given so many lifelines because everybody above us, you know, can't really sustain that 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 uh, that run of form apart from obviously uh, I suppose Fulham really. I suppose Bournemouth have fluctuated quite a bit too, but yeah, Daryl DK, it was such a massive blow, and I was really upset when when he when he came off injured, and maybe I maybe I thought it was just a little twinge because you know. It, I suppose he he went to head that ball and it was after such a, a long break in play, I think, uh, a Peterborough man went down with a head injury and the first thing he did was get up. They they kind of all stood still um, whilst Peterborough, the Peterborough player was getting treatment and then all of a sudden the ball was back in play and he was sprinting after it. So, yeah, it's unfortunate and these things happen in football, but I'm just glad that we haven't risked him in any unnecessary games towards the end of the season because... Uh, you know, the rumours are that he is he, he is probably fully fit now and has been probably for the past couple of weeks. But I think Bruce is kind of keeping him wrapped in cotton wool, just ready for next season. But yeah, I'm not maybe convinced that that Bruce can get the best out of him. But I still think that Dowdick is a good enough player that he can just kind of ignore whatever Steve Bruce says and and, and crack on and score the goals himself. Yeah, that's, that's definitely hope so. Any sort of second life that Ismail was afforded with that 3 0 winning against Peterborough, he, he failed to make the most of. Uh, I've described it as a horrendous here, a horrendous 2 0 defeat uh, against Preston. Proved to be the final straw, despite actually overseeing the Millwall game too. I think from then on, it was clear that he'd lost the players and you know, even more so, 
he'd lost the supporters, hadn't he, Ronan? There was no way back from Ismail from that pressing game. Uh, he was a dead man walking. He was a dead man walking because of everything that had kind of come before. That was absolutely the nail in the coffin, but um, the club, it was just so toxic. I, I'd wanted Ishmael to stay. I was a big supporter of his, even when things weren't looking good. Um, I was wary that the grass isn't always greener, but it had been, it, it was indefin- like it was inexcusable, the lack of improvement. We would, I think the players had given up, the fans had given up on him. Um, it was his, it was his time. It was his time, but um I think rose tinted glasses. If you look back now, do I sack him? Um, I'm not sure I do. Really? I think knowing what's happened now, um, I'm sure we'll come on and, and talk about Steve Bruce later, but um, I don't think he's made us any better. Um, I don't think he's made us any better. And if you've got a prize asset like Daryl DK weighing in the wings for next season, who would I want managing him? Steve Bruce or Valerian Ishmael? That, yeah, Valerian Ishmael. That's fair enough. Louis, I'll, I'll get your opinion on that. Would you have sacked Valerian and Ishmael if you could foresee what would go on with Steve Bruce and, and how the season would eventually pan out? Oh, that's a really difficult question. Uh, yeah, I, I, I probably would have would have kept him, if I'm honest. Um, but then again, the style of play wasn't exactly... Well, maybe not style of play, but the, the kind of aura that he'd set around the club and the bad atmosphere that was kind of created by by his management and, you know, the fans becoming restless, I think was, uh, was, was probably too toxic to continue. But then again, I look, as, as we said, I look back at it and has Bruce made it any better? No. Um, has he made it worse? Yes. Um, although maybe that's not hundred percent of his own doing. I think the, the irons were already, you know, in the file really with, with, with those, um, with, with those couple of losses at the end of his reign. No, that's the most toxic I've personally ever seen, the Hawthorns, and certainly away from home at Millwall, the flares and uh, stadium seats being thrown onto the pitch. I don't think it would have been any good for the fan base to keep him, but maybe in the long run over the summer, he could have, I think he, I'd probably trust him more with a bit of a rebuild than, than perhaps Steve Bruce, because I think Ishmael was well aware of what was needed. But... You know, I, I still think his his underdog style of play wouldn't suit us next season either because we've still got those parachute payments. We'll still arguably have some some better players than than uh, most of the teams in the division. So, yeah, I probably wouldn't have sacked him, but I think for the fan base, it might have been been the best decision at the time. And I can definitely see, well, I can 100% see why they did it. I was calling for him to be sacked. So, yeah, I can certainly see why they did it at the time. Yeah, I'll also just jump in here and say that I think... Because it was it was super, super toxic and it wasn't enjoyable. I was sick of the debate after every single game, whether he should go or not. Um, and we've spoken about the fact that we think that the club hasn't, you know, gone in the right direction under Steve Bruce and things have arguably gotten worse. I think the reason the fan base are more accepting of the failures of Steve Bruce is I think we've just given up. And I think there was hope when we had Ishmael that things were going to go well and we were going to get promoted. But by the time he'd been sacked, I think people knew what was going to happen with Steve Bruce. Yeah, you can be positive for the first couple of weeks if you want, but the start was so bad that we gave up. And so fans aren't angry anymore. They're just accepting that this is the way things are now, is that we've kind of resigned ourselves to be a very average football team in this league. So I think because Ishmael was once a figure of hope, the backlash and the reaction was so much stronger. But if you had Steve Bruce 
coming in at the same time as Ishmael and had the same performances um, and kind of taken us and, and trended in the same direction than he has, I think it would have been worse. I think it would have been worse. Um, I think context is a big thing to apply here, in my opinion. Um, Steve Bruce has not made us any better. Um, Ishmael wasn't making us any better, but the reason that Ishmael went, there were many, but it was because of the, the atmosphere at the club. And the only reason the atmosphere at the club isn't noticeably worse is because I think we've given up. Yeah, there was there was no way back for Ishmael. And my opinion, I think, can't get past that. It would have been interesting to see how, I suppose, his relationship would have developed with the supporters if it was sort of put on us that, you know, this is the man, whatever you say, whatever you do, we're not getting rid of him and how he would have then um, overseen, I suppose, a, a rebuild in the summer. And of course, the results he would have um, produced from what, January, or end of January, February to, to uh, May. I do also think that Valerian Ishmael left us with an extremely limited squad uh, and his recruitment in the summer, however much was down to him, I'm, I'm sure that can be debated. Um, you know, I don't think anyone's really been a success. So would you want to see more of that this summer? I, I, I can't say I, I, I um, would have done, but it's an interesting debate and one I'd probably be keen to get the opinion of other Albion fans on... However, we did eventually part company with Ismail and on the same day replace uh, Ken uh, with Ron Gourlay in the position of CEO, a move which I think we're all hoping will help Albion progress on and off the field. Uh, Louis, a, a quick opinion on uh, Gourlay so far. I think what I'm expecting you to say is that he's, uh, he's saying the right things uh, and we're, we're looking forward to seeing the actions, I suppose, season tickets and reopening the fan zone to start. Yeah, he's he's got some, I think, uh, well, maybe not the season tickets isn't quite an easy win, but I think the fan zone is definitely an easy win. And uh, the season ticket goes a long way to, well, number one, getting that atmosphere back at the Hawthorns, uh, encouraging lots more younger fans to persist with what's been a, a pretty dismal, well, for a lot of them, a pretty dismal start to their their campaign supporting West Bromwich Albion, and I'm glad that at least they don't have to families don't have to pay that much to to watch whatever's on show next season, whether it be good or bad. But yeah, I think he's he's talking he's talking the talk, Ron Gurley. He's he, he obviously recognises the shortcomings and recognises what there's needed to be done. But can he fix it? Uh, that's that's the big question, and I think he'll be judged on this summer. So will Steve Bruce in terms of his recruitment as well. So. I'm happy to give him a chance. Uh, I'll set aside. I'll happily set aside what what's happened at at, at Reading. Um, as long as he delivers a good, really with, with goods with, with with what he does here. But yeah, the season ticket prices, the fan zone, uh, both both pretty nice touches uh, so far. And and obviously the investigation into the the loan uh, surrounding our surrounding club that that I think uh, has been well overdue. I think it, it, it's good to see that he's, he's he's launched an investigation into that. So yeah, some good sort of baby steps so far and, and I hope to see some some more positive work from him and I'm glad that somebody kind of paid for what was a poor decision in appointing Ishmael in the end I'm glad that somebody finally took some that there was responsibility taken for the poor decision making at the club because far too long I think people have been a little bit too safe in those those kinds of roles and able to kind of sign people like Oliver Burke, Ken Zahor and you know it, it, it'd be completely acceptable so yeah I'm, I'm kind of glad that uh, that that precedent has been set down that that sort of decision can't be made in future. But yeah, Ron Gurley, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing the work he does. But yeah, the the talk has been all good so far. Just waiting for some some action on that. Really, it's a good point. 
you had there about the loan to shareholders and something as you mentioned has been long overdue and it's been an issue which has been lurking in the background and something which I, I, I read a bit about in The Athletic has sort of been uh, ignored or you know, uh, senior figures at the club have turned a blind eye to. And when we've got this sort of stuff lurking in the background, I don't think we can ever really progress. Uh, Gourlay did deliver a statement which I think sort of summed up Albion in, 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 in the last five years or so or how unorganised we have been off the field. You could even argue since the departure of Dan Ashworth when he, when he admitted uh, it was a one-man shortlist to replace uh, Vallejo and Ishmael. That man was everybody's favourite crime novelist and promotion specialist, Steve Bruce. <laughs> Ronan, um, you know, take it on. What have you made of, of Bruce's time so far at the club? Has it been fitting of another novel? Yeah, you could make it into a novel, but I wouldn't read it. Um, I'm just not bothered with, with what Steve Bruce is doing. And that's not to say um, I have any ill feelings towards him. But I, I made it a big point when I realised that the season was over and we were having um, the Twitter spaces about who could replace Ishmael. I just wanted someone that could come in and kind of reignite my passion for the club. And I think that's what a lot of fans wanted. You can put the results to one side, given the fact that we probably weren't going to be getting promoted, um, given you know the run that we were on. But just give us something to, to hang on to. Give us something to love. Steve Bruce came in, took him ages to put Taylor Garden Hickman in the team. Um, the start was as bad as I could remember for any manager. It was all of our worst nightmares coming true. And do I care? Not even, not really. No, I mean, I've just mentally checked out. I don't even necessarily blame him entirely. I just don't think he's he's the man to get us going in the right direction. I mean, ask yourselves this: What's more likely next season? If he if he has a a good transfer window, say we give him an, a seven or an eight out of 10 in the transfer with some of the business that he does. Um, what's more likely we get promoted back to the Premier League or we just flounder in mid-table. If we're going to be honest with ourselves, we're floundering in mid-table. It's a very uninspiring appointment. Um, it feels like the safe option once again, just crazy amounts of deja vu, no risks being taken. I know there was risks being taken with Ishmael, but when we risked before, we were gambling a promotion back into the Premier League at the first time of asking. At this point, we were gambling nothing. There, there were, like, especially for a short-time appointment until the end of the season. Like, I, I wouldn't even mind if you, if you give it Bruce, but now apparently he's, he's the, the long-term future of this club. I'm, I'm just, I'm kind of at a bit of a loss, really. So I think you can really kind of surmise the way that Bruce has managed this club when you look at February and March together. February, battered, battered by pretty much every team that we, that we, that we played against. I mean, the, the, the goalless draw against Blackburn at the time felt like, oh, maybe there's something here. But actually, no, Blackburn hadn't scored in like five or six games. And we couldn't, we couldn't put them away. And then we head into March. We get the 2-0 win at home. Um, Andy Carroll gets that great comeback against Huddersfield. And then... The, the Fulham performance is as good a performance as I've seen from an Albion team in about a year since the Chelsea game. So I'm confused. I don't know the way that we play. I don't know what's going to happen before each game, as in we could lose 3-0 or we could win 3-0 against any team in this league. And I don't even think Bruce has a great idea as to what's going on. 
I do worry about the future of this club, but at the same time, I feel like I'm I'm, I'm so tired of, of what has been going on. I'm more tired now than I was with Ishmael. And so that, that there's a lack of care as, as to what happens. Of course, I love this club with everything, but I'm only in control of, of so much when it comes to West Bromwich Albion. And I'm worried that those that are in control are just making the same wrong decisions. And it's, it's hard to watch. It's hard to watch. Wow, that's a pretty strong condemnation of, of Bruce's time at the club so far. Really, I can't argue strongly against any of it. I think I'll add on to what you're saying. I'm not sure I'm full of faith if Steve Bruce is the man overseeing a drastic overhaul, which Gawler admitted in his, in his statement, and I think Bruce has said himself, can't be done overnight. It doesn't really make sense to have a manager whose contract will only last until the end of next season, overseeing such a monumental uh, rebuild at the club without a director of football in place, without uh, you know a really... Uh, I don't want to use the word proper because that, you know, that doesn't really mean anything without a respectable infrastructure from a footballing perspective um, integrated within the club. For me, it doesn't at all, but we'll wait and see. Hey, I mean, uh, I'm sure he's got a good eye for a player. So let's hope um, this overhaul is for the best uh, and that, you know, Bruce does deliver results next season. Um, well, where to go from there, as you, as you mentioned, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a great um, start at the club for Bruce. Uh, failing to win in his first five games at the end of, uh, well, stretching to the end of February, um, where we lost to Sheffield United, Luton, Middlesbrough and Swansea. Also uh, a goalless draw against Blackburn. Those results took us as far down as the table as 13th, which was horrendous for a club uh, of Albion's stature. Moving into March, Bruce did get his first win on the road, uh, a 2-0 win at Hull. And playoff hopes were reignited, uh, really went the Louis. Andy Carroll inspiring a late comeback against high-flying Huddersfield before a tremendous showing against champions in waiting, Fulham. And it begs the question, why have we been so inconsistent? What can you put it down to? I, I think, I suppose, pressure uh, could, could play a huge part. I think, that, quite frankly, there are times when the players have, pick, have picked uh, and and kind of chosen when they want to kind of come and, and put the shift in. And I think a lot of those have come against, obviously, those clubs that are higher. We saw Fulham, we saw Bournemouth. Uh, two of the best before, best performances of the season was Fulham, in, in my opinion, in terms of, uh, I, I suppose, in terms of my expectation, really. It, it kind of felt like the best performance of the season because we had to, well, I was expecting us to get drubbed four or five nil, to be honest, at home. But I think, I think a lot of it comes down to the pressure. Obviously, when the pressure's on, uh, we seem to, as, as, as I've noted, you know, the amount of chances we had to get in the playoffs. The players will know that they have the chance to get in the playoff with a win in that game, uh, where wins in, in, in particular games and they've ended up losing. Whereas the games where I'm sure Steve Bruce has said to them, just go out and do your best in, in games such as uh, Fulham, I suppose he said, probably said that around, um, you know, you know, around 60 minutes through the game against Huddersfield and they came back in that one, Bournemouth as well. I think they just, kind of crumble under that pressure we saw it last season in the Premier League when we took points off I think all of the big six apart from apart from Spurs and maybe Arsenal I think we we, we took points off which you know I think is is pretty pretty impressive I think when the pressure's pressure's off and we've got nothing to lose I think we, we tend to play a lot better and that was proved by these performances so 
yeah, I'd, I'd love to be able to put a finger on it. And I'm sure Steve Bruce would as well, but I'm, I'm not sure he has the, the kind of capabilities to do that. But yeah, it's, it's been it's, it's been really inconsistent. And the amount of chances we've had to get in the playoffs, it's, in, it's embarrassing that we've even been given those lifelines. But yeah, when the pressure's been on, they, they haven't taken those chances. Yeah, I think you're right. It gives us further sort of ammunition to fire at the players so that they can play the best team in the league off the park with absolute ease, dominating Fulham from start to finish that night. But then we go and uh, draw a scraper last minute draw against Bristol City in the next game. Um, and that continued into April with a dreadful defeat in an all West Midlands clash against Birmingham City. Uh, more anger directed at the players and Ronan. It's right, rightly so, because I think whilst you can blame Ishmael, you can blame Bruce, they are you know, the, the common denominator, but also because their failings that left us in this position. A million percent. And we are going to come on to the, uh, the awards shortly. And when I was trying to wrap my brain as to who I think should win player of the season, it's tough. It's tough to actually pick someone who I think has been good this year for, and that I actually think is deserving of an award. Um, the likes of, of Carl and Grant have been, you know, scoring a fair few goals, but they, their actual play beyond that, they feel like real match of the day players that come up with the goals, but when you sit there and you watch them for 90 minutes, I, I'm unimpressed. And this is a man that we signed in the Premier League so that when we came to the Championship, we dominate teams. It's not happened. Real experienced, seasoned veterans coming up short, week in, week out. We just don't look like a half-decent team. Partly the manager's fault. A lot of it is on the players. I have had many a rant this season about the performances of, of these players, and I imagine I'll have rants in the future about them too if they're not kind of chucked out of the club in the summer. Yeah, when you look back and think that Johnston was our, was our big-time player, our England international, and now... Let him go. I don't care. He's been so poor this year compared to what he was in the Premier League last season. And I think that's the perfect microcosm for what's gone on with the entire squad. Miles off it. Absolutely miles off it. And that just summed it up against, against Blues. Um, arguably the worst performance of the season. And uh, there's some tough competition for that mantle. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting because we've said before that not only... Have these players been performing poorly? I suppose Bar, Taylor Garden Hickman, and Andy Carroll, you don't really feel a connection, do you, to any of these players? And it's something that we've, as I said, we've talked about before, Ronan, and, um, and we've discussed quite heavily. And I'm wondering, Louis, if you're, you're sort of feeling the same thing, you can't exactly pick out your favourite player and someone you love watching. And, and, you know, for me, it was Mateus Pereira. I'm sure every Albion fan you know, was. So excited by going to watch him at the Hawthorns every weekend. Some of the stuff he did was incredible. It's the polar opposite now. Yeah, there's a few that I kind of like. I think I kind of like, <laughs> I suppose, is a, a really sort of half and half statement, really, towards these players. But the kind of like Matt Clark, I've, I've enjoyed watching his performances uh, for large parts of the season. Obviously, he had that kind of spell just after he came back from having COVID where he... He, he, he let in, well, let let by a few howlers and maybe was 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 at fault for a couple of goals. But 
I've quite enjoyed his performances. I've, I've got, I, I quite like Malumbi, Jason Malumbi. I think he's one of the players that, that I quite enjoy watching uh, and I'm, I'm sure we'll come on to him later. Gardner Hickman, of course, one of our own. I think it's hard to hard to not like him, although I'm sure a few on Albion Twitter will try and tell you that he's, he's you know, uh, a bang average player or whatever. But uh, yeah, other than that, I, th- I think I'm struggling for players that I've enjoyed watching this season and yeah, well, maybe Andy Carroll comes into that as well. I've enjoyed watching some somebody show a focal point and and really give their all up front. But yeah, other than that, I'm and and even those those um, those four that I've mentioned are, are a kind of like you know it's not really a oh I love that player or you know I look forward to seeing that player as you said but you know it's I've, I've kind of lost a bit of connection. Obviously, I'm not at that age where I'm going to start going you know you're my hero and stuff like that. You know I've, I've outgrew that probably when Pereira left to be honest. But you know. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just, yes, it's, it's difficult to pick a, a favourite player or a player that you really look forward to watching on a match day. And I think that's mainly down to Ishmael because obviously a lot of us will go for that kind of, you know, the Pereira type player, the sole creative force. And Ishmael didn't want that kind of player in his system. He wanted everybody to kind of work in in, in kind of a rigid way. He didn't want anything because outside the box, he wanted everybody to sit in this system. There isn't really room, room for a spare man. So yeah, I suppose that's a testament to him and, and what he was trying to recruit and, impl- uh, and implement at the club. But yeah, as you said, there really isn't a player that you know I'm, I'm really hyped about uh, or really enjoy watching uh, the club at the moment. Yeah, very much. So. I think you well, you know, you, you you've actually mentioned there a few that you you don't mind and do sort of like as such. And you no, know, that's that's again that's really different to me because there's I can't even sort of. I don't even feel like I, I, I want to. De- I want to defend them if they make a mistake. I, I, I can't back them. I can't get behind this team. That's that's the be all and end all. I think sums sums this album inside up. I can't get behind this team and for one reason or another. I'm not sure why that is. Maybe it's me uh, not being a too great of a fan. But there's something obviously missing there. Uh, if that's the case, the inconsistency continued into April. Uh, as we again brushed aside second place Bournemouth easily before losing to Stoke, fortunately beating Blackpool, getting hammered by Forest and drawing nil-nil against Coventry at the Hawthorns. Season was certainly over by this point. Any hopes of a playoff finish had diminished. Um, we're effectively playing for our pride, which is certainly not the position I expected Albion to be in if we go all the way back to the, to the end of August. A few little lines of, of interest were, were announced in May. Ronan, Andy Carroll will leave the club. Uh, a quick quick opinion on that. Yeah, I mean, he was asking for too much money. He's asking for £20,000 a week and he's nowhere near that. I mean, let's just, let's just pump the brakes here, Andy. You've been playing well, but it's not even scoring a ton of goals. It's not even firing us up into the playoffs. I mean, just, you know, I mean, in, in any other season, us not wanting to sign a veteran target man uh, who hasn't been that prolific would be met with cheers. Um, but I think it kind of tells you where the club is, where this playing staff is. That we're that, well, there are some sections of the fan base that are like, well, maybe we should resign him. Not for me, not for me, Clive. Um, get get Andy Carroll out. Um, I'll also run through this one with you. You've heard what, how I feel about Sam Johnston. The big one here is Mullumby joining permanently. That is good business. That is good business. I don't know how you feel about this, Louis. It seems like you like to sing his praises as well. This is a really tidy footballer who is at the level that we need. We're getting him for less than a million pounds. 
this is this is tidy work. I, I mean, I, I feel like this is a, a bit of a no-brainer. Um, don't get caught up in what you read on, on Twitter. Um, of course, have your own opinions, especially if you're watching all the games. But you, you'd think that you know this guy's the worst, the worst player that we've had for years. If you went on Twitter, and people would say the same about Alex Mart. Like this kid can play, and with the right players around him, I think this is I think this is great business. I don't see what there isn't what's not to like. Well, it's interesting you say that, Ronan, and you come to Louis' opinion in a second because I, I'm not too happy with with, with the signing, funnily enough. So, Louis, what do you uh, make of it? I, he's one. Well, as I said, he's one of the players I sort of like, and yeah, I've, I've, as Ronan said, you, if you looked on social media, you you think he's the the second coming of of Victor and Ichabi or something like that. You know, he's <laughs> he's really not that bad. I, I, you know, I've defended him quite numerous times over the past sort of week or so. I think he's got the uncoachable assets for a, for a manager to have personally. You know, I think he's got the drive, the determination, uh, the good work ethic, good stamina. I think you just have to kind of build on maybe a bit of creativeness, but maybe you wouldn't have to if he's got those creative players alongside him. I think ultimately he's stood out as kind of a, as Albion fans have said, you know, a bit of a sideways passer. But then again, I think the idea of Malumbi being in the team is he recycles the possession and he passes to somebody a bit more creative who then goes on to move the ball forward and pr- progress a bit more. But I think ultimately he, do- he does his job and does his job well. And I think that's to recycle possession, break up play. And yeah, he's, he's very good at doing that. And yeah, for, for under a million pounds, I, I think we've, we've got a steal. And yeah, I, I'm, I, I dare say I wasn't that happy with with a lot of Albion fans in my mentions trying to claim that that, that, that he was he was uh, an awful player for this division which I think is is a bit unfair on him because I think he's he, he's been I suppose uh, over the past few games I think he's been one of the best performers I think Reading was probably his best game so far in an Albion shirt but yeah I was pleased to see him sign permanently definitely yeah and the other thing to take into consideration here is he's young he's what 22 23 something like that like he he can develop. He'll keep the midfield ticking over. Um, I think he relies on other good players to make himself better. But he's tidy now. Like we've had a lot of players in the past that are a lot older that we've paid a lot more money for that don't do things as well as he does. Yeah, I, I, I'm interested to hear what you've got to say about this, Matt. But um, I think you're going to have to do some convincing to make me believe that this isn't good business by the club. I just think that um, he's sort of not epitomizes. That's probably unfair. Well, let's, I'll go into it. I think that he's somewhat limited in terms of what he can offer as a midfielder. It's not me saying he's an awful player, but I don't think he adds anything to the Albion midfield either. And yes, we're only spending £900,000 on him. I think that was it, wasn't it? And yes, he's only in his early 20s, and I'm sure he'll, he'll improve. And uh, He's got great experience as a, as a championship player already. But regardless, I think that's still £900,000 that could be uh, better off spent elsewhere. I really do. Whether that's a loan fee on uh, a young Premier League player, uh, I've seen the likes of Elliot Anderson, um, who's done so well at Bristol Rovers this season. If that secured his signing, I personally feel that would bring more value to the Albion squad. That's something we need more uh, and would therefore be a better use of money. I just think that um, I don't even think we would have signed Malumbi for choices as from all that I can I can gather it was a, it was a contractual sort of um, agreement that had been put in place uh, in, in the summer so for me yeah Malumbi is limited in what he can do doesn't bring anything too different to the Albion midfield money can be better spent elsewhere just my opinion but I can understand why you think for 
for such a, I suppose, a paltry amount. Um, you can't really go wrong with the signing. I will move on, however, again, an interesting one to get the Albion fans' thoughts on there because you both mentioned it. there is a bit of debate into, you know, is he a good sign, is he a good player or not? We eventually finished with consecutive wins and clean sheets against Reading and Barnsley, respectively. Uh, Ronan, was there anything to look forward to next season based off those, uh, those two consecutive victories? Um, kind of hard to say because I'm hoping that we're going to have a very different squad and, you know, I don't want to read too much into what's happened this season for next year because, as I said, hopefully it's just going to be very different. But, yeah, beating teams that we should be beating, at least we're not losing to them. I mean, can't really complain. I've got far more other things to uh, to complain about the way that we've been playing this season. So, yeah, uh, Reading and Barnsley wins, especially with the how, you know, thorough performance it was um, yesterday as we're recording. No, I, I can't complain. Yeah, that's, you know, I suppose it was a bit of a bit of enjoyment for the Albion fans, wasn't it, Louis, on the final day? Yeah, I enjoyed it. I, I I had a I had a good time and four goals. Yeah, I really can't complain. And I know Barnsley a poor side, but it it was just a nice to have a bit of positivity in the ground. People enjoying themselves in the sunshine. Yeah, it, it was it was nice. And I have no complaints uh, about the end of the season. And uh, although it's been a bit uh, testimonial like at times for for the past sort of five games or so, but. I personally enjoyed enjoyed uh, the win, and yeah, it was it was nice to see everybody in good spirits for for once. To be honest, for what it's worth, I do think Malumbi um, played his best game in an Albion shirt that I've seen uh, against Barnsley on the on the last day. So the final sort of topic of discussion I've got before we conclude the season review uh, focuses on Carlin Grant, who, I believe it or not, you could say. Um, finished with 18 league goals this season and really he should have had 20 of course he misses a penalty against Barnsley and then even before that uh, missed a last minute uh, penalty against Coventry didn't he so should have really been in in 20 there for Carlin but it's an interesting one because me myself I haven't been too infused by his overall performances this season but equally I definitely wouldn't be getting rid of him straight away he wouldn't be top of my list to, to, to move on because well I said he should have 20 goals this season so Louis how do you sort of judge his season overall and um, uh, and rate what has been a I suppose a breakthrough season in an Albion shirt for Carlin Grant and one which he did he promised at the start of the season he was going to show uh, Albion fans the, the real Carlin Grant yeah, he's, he's, he scored some really important goals, I think, is another thing uh, alongside the total. I think throughout that period of November, there was, I think he must have must have got three or four match-winning goals, which I think, you know, won us quite a few points. And had we been in that, had we have got into a playoff place, we'd have probably thanked um, him for, for, for those points and, and getting us those points on the board. But I think I, I've been a little underwhelmed with his all-round play, if I'm honest. I, I don't want to seem like a... You know, I, I don't like being negative, but I, I just feel like there's an extra, probably probably 30% he could give in, in play. I think a lot of the time he's kind of hiding a little bit from the build-up play and kind of just hoping to tap that in, which is, I suppose, OK when you're getting a load of goals. Like, you know, I, I, you know I'd argue that maybe Mitrovic doesn't play a massive part in Fulham's, uh, Fulham's uh, uh, build-up play and he kind of leave that to those around him. And when it gets into the box, it's his time to shine. But... I think Grant's. I just feel like there's there's something a little bit missing with his with his overall game, and I'm not discrediting for one moment the goals that that he's got because 
yeah, he's, he's he scored some really important goals and fair play to him for that's his second highest scoring season in his career for him. I think he was just one under what he got at Huddersfield, which made him made us sign him a couple of seasons ago. And I do believe that I think next season he could get quite a few more actually. But yeah, I think he, he's definitely been the leading marksman for us and uh, our only real goal threat when when obviously Daryl DK's um. Uh, bit, well, well, when Daryl DK has not been playing, I suppose for those two games he was the real goal threat. But I think, yeah, I just think there's something a little bit lacking with with his his overall game. But I, I'm not discrediting for one second the goals he scored because, yeah, they've been absolutely essential to to any form of uh, playoff push that we've had this season. And for what it's worth, I do actually agree with what you said there, Louis. How his performances perhaps haven't reflected his goals tally. Um, would you be inclined to agree, Ronan? I think so. I think it would be. I'm, I'm kind of in a weird place with Carlo and Grant. Um, I think for a lot of the reasons that have already been mentioned, I, I've made this comparison, maybe unfairly all season, that the big kind of signings that the clubs of our stature have made, whether it be this season or other seasons, to have that kind of difference-making goal scorer in their side has fired them right up the table. Um, you look at Mitrovic, Solanke, they're the two names that I've been kind of comparing Carl and Grant to, which I don't think is that unfair, especially with the Dominic Solanke comparison. Um, Carl and Grant was signed as a striker. In, in my opinion, he's a striker um, that can't be trusted with the responsibilities of, of a striker because technically he's not as good as he should be. Um, I don't think he, he's a left winger, as I said, because he can't be trusted up front. But we wonder why we're not very creative. And it's because Colin Grant on that left side going forward of a front three isn't isn't creative. Um, he's a goal scorer that we just put out on the left. Um, and I don't think that necessarily every game this season, he's made us a better player, even when he's been scoring goals. I wonder how well we would have been playing if we'd been creating chances off the left with somebody like Grady Dean Garner. I mean, we'll never know. Um, and that's not a comment on... Grady as much as it's a comment on I don't think that the team plays as well going forward when you've got somebody like Colin Grant who I don't trust to, to slip a pass in behind or go onto his left and clip a ball up and, and find you know Andy Carroll or you know Callum Robinson like at the back post that kind of a thing it's very one-dimensional it's very cutting on your right and have a pot shot at goal but the man has scored a lot of goals and when he's been on he's really really been on so I don't want him to leave, but I think there's definitely areas of his game that he can improve to improve us as a club as much as improve himself as a player. And I think that starts with him um, learning how to play as a striker because, you know, I think that's where his, his best position will be if he just does the things that he needs to do correctly. Yeah, maybe one way of sort of summing up what you said there, Ronan, is he, he's, he wouldn't trust him with the burden of scoring goals to get you up but he's equally not technically good enough to play as a creative left winger. So then you're left with the problem of where do you play him? Can you afford to have someone like that not in your team? It, it's, it, again, it's an interesting one. and um, Something that I think will intrigue Albion fans uh, next season. How does Steve Bruce use and how does he get the best out of Carlin Grant whilst also ensuring that uh, the team is, is, is in, a, in, a, in a, uh, an effective unit? Because I think, again, we saw against Barnsley on the final there, what Grady Diangana can do when he's at his best, his mercurial best, and we just need to see that more often next season too. 
to bring this uh, this section of the podcast to a close before we move on to the uh, end of the season awards, I'll deliver Albion's uh, final league position, which was, well, I suppose what you describe an underwhelming 10th. Yes, we finished in the top half. Look at the teams we finished behind. Millwall, Blackburn, Luton, Huddersfield. I'm, I'm giving you those names because those are the teams which I definitely wouldn't have thought we'd finish behind. Um, so well, there's four there that have put us, well, yeah, six basically, if you took remove those teams on paper. And then you're looking at really saying we've got a better squad than Forest on paper. We've got a better squad than Middlesbrough on paper. I, I don't know. I'm just I'm rambling really now. But Albion finished 10th. What an awful season. Ronan, take it away with the awards. Um, well, yeah, thanks for that, Matt. Um, as you, <laughs> yeah. any, any, uh, any any opinions on the season as a whole, guys? I mean, can you sum it up in one word, maybe? Tragic. Uh, yeah. Louis? Owl. Um, yeah, I'll I'll say painful. Nice. I think those nice. were the those yeah those would be the three words that we would want to describe our season all the way back in August. Um, yeah. Um, pretty bad but you know as the football season ends the award seasons do begin and um, the club have actually handed out their official awards already but we thought it'd be remiss to not do our own ceremony with our own awards here on the podcast some awards that we're going to give out tonight may be similar to what you'd expect but there are a few wildcard awards thrown in there too for good measure Um, we will each have a nominee for each award that we're going to be doing, and we will be doing eight, and the nominees may be quite similar as we haven't discussed who we're nominating before we've sat down to record. But, you know, regardless, come the end of the episode, we will have dished out the eight awards in total with players, staff, and podcasters all in the running to take home a trophy. And God knows this has been the closest any of these players have come to a trophy all season. Um, as we've got a quiz to record too, I will try and move things on a bit here um, and introduce the first of these awards, which is um, the WBA Report Podcast Player of the Season. It's pretty self-explanatory. Who is your player of the season and why? Starting with you, Louis. Matt, Matt Clark for me, I think. I'll agree with the, the supporters player of the season for the club. I think Matt Clark, yeah. Yeah, Matt, anything different? Uh, yeah, I'll go Gardner Hickman. Just think you see that, yeah. Bit of breath of fresh air. Whenever we um, played well, he's been at the heart of it, so he gets my vote. See, I mean, I think if Taylor Garner Hickman had played more, I think that's who I would have I would have said. And I've been really kind of it's been between Matt Clark and Carlin Grant for me as to who I think I would go for. But I think I'm gonna have to agree with Louis here. And I think with two votes to one, I think it's gonna have to be Matt Clark. He's just been so assured at the back. In any other Albion team, I think he would make us a real promotion contender it's I'm sad to see him go um Louis what really made you go for Matt Clark this year I just love a, a good centre-back I think it's been a, it's been quite a while since well, I suppose quite a while since we've seen that really solid defender at the Hawthorns and I know it's I, I don't think he'd make maybe make it the step up to, to Premier League level right now but I think He's just a solid defender. And I actually think he's a really good footballer as well. Yeah. Maybe maybe a better footballer than a defender, I, I, I dare say. We saw it left-back yesterday. I know, obviously, not the conventional left-back and definitely isn't the sort of person you'd, you'd want to be playing there every week because, you know, we're not a Pulis side anymore, although <laughs> maybe we might become that. I don't know. But, you know, he, he looked really nice roving up and down the t- touchline. And I think, you know, a lot of the time, the turns that he does, like he always does this like one where he 
like traps the ball under his foot and then sort of rolls one way and goes the other. Yeah, I, I, I think he's a tidy footballer and, and, and has, has been a, a real factor in us uh, keeping so many clean sheets and, and having one of the better defensive records in the league as well. Yeah, I think this might be even a controversial opinion, but I think that he has been better than either Semi Ajayi or Carl Bartley in our promotion season. Um, it's always nice when you get a left-footed centre-half. They are a little bit of a... I think they're a manager's best friend, really, aren't they? You, you just really want to get that left-sided centre-half, and they're, they're pretty pretty rare to come by when they're as good and as, well, as English as Matt Clark is. I mean, I'm sure his value will skyrocket after the season that he's had with us. Um yeah, I think he's brilliant. The underlapping runs he's made, even when he's playing left side, the centre-back in the back three, he likes to get forward and hit the byline sometimes. So I think pretty underrated player in the, in the league in general. Um, and uh, a player that's kind of steadily gone about his business. He's had some low points. He's had some really, really good games too. So I personally think that's fair. Matt, anything anything you want to say on, on your namesake, Matt Clark? Yeah, I, I think he's had a solid season, hasn't he? He certainly hasn't been a bad sign. He's probably been... Um, well, we'll see. We've, we've got the award, haven't we? Signing of the of the season. Uh, I'm just thinking, would I actually keep him next year, though? And and it's a weird one. I think his contract is up at Brighton at the end of next season, isn't he? So he's got one year left. He's not going to cost too much. But equally, I think before I'd sign him, we'd have to move on at least two defenders for me. Um, we can't bring any more in before offloading a couple. Maybe I'm being really harsh here and I'm not really properly acknowledging the season he's had, but Louis, do you feel the same, or would you sign him at all costs? I think it, I think we do have to move a couple of centre halves on. I think that's probably Bruce's plan, and I think that's what that rides on. I wouldn't be surprised if another team uh, in typical Albion fashion comes and comes and swoops him up before the end of the camp. Well, before the end of the, the summer, because you know mm. I'm sure lots of teams will have been keeping an eye on him. Of course, only a year left on his deal at Brighton. But yeah, I think we do have to get rid of a couple of defenders first because Steve Bruce is going to play a four at the back. We, we don't need seven senior centre-halves as well. And I think one of our better young players, Caleb Taylor, is is kind of having his first team pathway blocked by, I, I suppose, Ishmael's, uh, Ishmael's uh, obsession with, with centre-backs and that injury crisis we had kind of at the start of the season uh, that led to a signing Keane Bryan. But yeah, I think we do have to get rid of a couple of centre-backs to sign Clark and hopefully... Hopefully we, we we do because I'd love to see him back at the Hawthorns. I felt a bit sad when he came off uh, against Barnsley, if I'm honest. I, I did. That's a, probably the first time I felt a bit of emotion connected with Albion, if I'm completely honest, <laughs> for quite a few months. But I felt a bit sad when he came off because I was like, that that could be the last time we see him in an Albion shirt. And uh, for me, a real real Rolls Royce of a defender. So yeah, absolutely, I'd I'd, I'd uh, happily see him stay, but uh, as long as we get the necessary uh, players out the way first. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Um... I do kind of, I think he's a very Watford or Norwich player to to sign that, um, yeah, a team that's going to, I think there's going to be teams that are maybe in a better position than us will we'll take a chance on Matt Clark and hopefully he's enjoyed his time here at the Hawthorns, but um, I don't think there's any guarantees about getting him back next season. Um, next award though, it's the Chrissy Brunt, Brunt, Brunt goal of the season. Um, it's just what it says on the tin. Um I think I know how we're all going to vote here, but who gets the nomination for you? I, I really don't want to vote for for, for Moet's goal at Cardiff, but I think you've got to have it here. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 just such an unbelievably good goal. And I think it's one that the um, the man himself, Chris Brunt, would be more than happy with. It's 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 a great it's a great goal. Um 
I mean, it already makes it two votes. So I think it will be our goal of the season, unless, Louis, you've got another idea and you uh, you make a pretty strong case. No, absolutely. Alex Moe against, uh, against Cardiff. If I remember rightly, Ronan, you said on the podcast that it was a birthday goal for you as well. Yeah, wonderful birthday present from Alex. Really good of him. Really good of him. Um, Very interesting. Maybe the only one he's delivered this season, perhaps. <laughs> Bar is one at Blackburn, but no, yeah, definitely going for Mo against Cardiff. I think that was a, that was a stunning strike. Yeah, I mean, throwback to August September. Alex Mo, what a player he was, by the way. Um, yeah, shame that his season hasn't kind of lived up to those early standards that he set himself. But just as a pure strike, the technique, the way the ball is still going up as it hits the back of the net, the keeper could do nothing. I think we'll be doing well to score a better individual goal, um, a sweeter strike than that. I mean, we'll be waiting a few years before um, I think a goal of the season comes close to that, in my opinion. Um, now, game of the season. I'll, I'll start the nomination off this time. Um, I was very close to go in for the uh, for the two-all at the Vitality. Just as pure theatre and the fact that I think we were so unlucky. I think two-all puts me off a bit um, going for it. But actually, the quality in that game, how invested I was. First game of the championship season, oh, it was just, it was so good. But I am going to go for the 4-0 at home to Sheffield United. The atmosphere at the Hawthorns was as lively and too fair as United as I can remember. And for the full 90 minutes, they got battered. I think you could argue that we had wins against stiff opposition this year. Um, and that is me referring to early season Sheffield United under Jukanovic, who was, yeah, they were just terrible. Um, but the domination, quality of football, the optimism in the air made it a very special evening. And uh, I think I will, I'll remember that game fondly for years to come. Now, Matt and Louis, there are some other strong contenders here because there were some, in the midst of some dreadful football, some really nice games, some really nice sets of 90 minutes for, for West Brom. So, um, Matt? Do you have another game in mind for this award? I think I'll probably go for the opening day because it was such a, an entertaining spectacle, as we mentioned, box to box, like a basketball game. Two really good teams going at it. Well, really good team, that's a bit of a push. <laughs> um, two exciting outfits going head to head at the start of the season. And it resulted in, uh, as you mentioned earlier on in the episode, Ronan, uh, a good advert for championship football. Absolutely. And Louis, there's, I feel like there's one other game that we could really go for here, and this could be uh, split three ways, but what are you saying? Bournemouth, Sheffield United, AN other? I'm going to go for another, but for completely different reasons, if you both said. I, I'm going to go for 1-0 against Fulham. I, nice. I feel like that's nice. a, that, that might be a bit of a, a weird one, but I love a good defensive performance as much as I love a, a good attacking one. And uh, I think the game, uh, you know, it's been a while since we've kind of seen ourselves beat a, an opposition that's quite a lot better than us with the fans in the ground. I mean, you know, you look back to Pulis days when we were sort of beating teams like Arsenal, Man United, uh, you know, with, uh, with with some famous uh, dirty undercard tactics and whatnot. You know, it was epitomised that game by Malumbi coming off the bench in the 90th minute, only to get in a fight with Fabio Carvalho by kicking the ball away and then getting booked <laughs> and then the game ended. So... Yeah, it was, I, I've just missed those kinds of games and that kind of brought me back to that. And there was a, a decent atmosphere as well. So, yeah, I'll, I'll vote for Fulham. And I'm, I, I've got a feeling that's entirely unhelpful in terms of giving the award out. Very unhelpful, but very justified <laughs> because I loved that game. I was so I was so high on excitement and thinking, oh, maybe this is it. Maybe this is it. If we can beat Fulham, we can beat anyone. And the performance was amazing as well. If you watch those 90 minutes back, we should have and could have won by more against the best team in the league by a fair distance. It was just, it was brilliant. And I just didn't see it coming. I didn't see it coming, but 
um, from the first minute to the last. I mean, the first 45 minutes itself was just a marvel. I, yeah, I'm I'm happy to go with the 1-0. I'm happy to go for the 2 all, and I'm happy to go for the 4-0, obviously. Um, Matt, I'm going to give you... Oh, I don't know, guys. I don't know how we're going to settle this. Yeah, I've got an idea. Um, I think we should go for the 4-0 because it had the optimism, the atmosphere, the results, the excitement. I think it had a bit of everything that we liked about our respective games squeezed into one. So do you think that's fair? I'm yeah. down for that. That's, that's, that's all fine with me. I'm, I'll definitely go for that. I've got you guys trained well. Always go for my, if in doubt, go for Ronnie's choice. <laughs> of course. Um, yeah. We will move on um, to the aforementioned signing of the season. And again, another pretty straightforward concept here. It's signing of the season. Um, Matt, kick us off here. I think I know who you're going to go for, but uh, who are you nominating? I reckon you don't know who I'm going to go for. I'm going for Andy Carroll. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Explain away, mate. Go ahead. It is probably almost definitely very harsh on Matt Clark. Um, and I feel sort of bad for not giving him uh, an award. But I just feel like at a time where everything was going wrong at Albion, or Carroll almost um, signified everything that was wrong with, um, with, with, with the current bunch of players by almost proving them wrong and or showing them up, should I say. And perhaps we won't actually appreciate the, the value of that until he's gone and until we see a, a new batch of players come in because he was really the opposite. He led by example. He demanded more from his teammates. And you think, well, um, especially that Bournemouth, Bournemouth game, um, the result against Huddersfield, they're off the top of my head. Where would we be without him? I mean, he scored against Blackpool as well, didn't he? I think we'd be in an even worse position without Andy Carroll. Yeah, I'm, I can't disagree. I can't disagree. Um, Louis, uh, that was not what I'm expect- I was expecting, but actually it does make a ton of sense. Um, has Matt changed your mind? Were you going to go for Andy Carroll or have you got uh, another name for us? Well, I'd like to go for Matt Clark, but he's had one of my awards already. I feel like I'm a bit boring by sort of repeating it. So I will go for Andy Carroll because I think he gave me more of a lift uh, and gave me a bit more of a connection to a player on the pitch, which was a nice change. I'd like to go for Malumbi, but I, I can't really justify that he's had a great season at all, even though I do like him. But Andy Carroll, yeah, I think he brought a bit more of a connection with the supporters. Uh, he, I, I quite like that he came in and, and quite literally embarrassed quite a lot of the, the current playing squad and, and showed them up for exactly what they were. Uh, a man with no connection to the club, in fact, quite disliked by Albion supporters before he came to the club, showing uh, what it takes to, to pull on the shirt and, and and put in the required effort to to uh, progress through through the division. But it's just a shame that nobody else showed that. But yeah, I think Matt Clark's had one of my awards. So I'll give this one to Andy Carroll uh, because I'm a little bit sad he's, he's not staying, but I completely understand the reasoning. It's a, it's a bitter farewell for, for him, but it's, it's quite a shame not to see him um, walking around the pitch uh, as well uh, after the game. I did stick around to kind of see who who, who was coming out after the game. Uh, and it's quite, it was a shame not to see Andy Carroll there because I, I think a lot of the fans, and myself included, would have, would have liked to have kind of applauded him and, and said goodbye to him, really. Yeah, I think I understand why Andy wouldn't want to come out, though. I mean, walking around the... Walking around the Hawthorns, he doesn't want to tweak a hamstring. Fair play, got to keep himself fit <laughs> for next season. Um, well, it looks like Andy Carroll is going to be our signing of the season, and you know, a bit of a shame in a way. I mean, I feel like Adam Reach has been robbed, but you know, that's the way it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's two votes to one, um, and 
actually, talking of Adam Reach, uh, it's Burke of the Year. That's right. It's the worst signing of the season. Aptly named Burke of the Year. Um, named, of course, in honour of Ollie Burke, a unanimous selection in our worst Albion 11 of the 21st century. We've had a few iffy signings this year. So, <laughs> Louis, who are you giving this award to? Oh, yeah, it's a, it's a great name for an award, by the way. But I, I don't <laughs> think there's uh, I don't think there's kind of any 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 doubt in my mind that that Jordan Hugill's getting this award. I suppose he didn't quite last the full season, but yeah, well, as, as for reasons discussed earlier in the podcast, there, there's no reason to believe that that Jordan Hugill was a justified signing. I suppose you could say that about a few of the signings in the past window, uh, but yeah, I think Jordan Hugill blew my mind with. With uh, <laughs> just just how awful we could, how bad of a striker we could actually find to play in this division. I thought we'd really hit the jackpot with Kenneth Sahor, but clearly not. Blowing minds and blowing chances. That's uh, that's Jordan Hugel <laughs> right there. Um, nice to see you give him a chance at, at, at some silver weather. I, I appreciate that, uh, Louis. Um, Matt, <laughs> feel like you might say the same, but who are you going for? Yeah, no justification needed, Jordan Hugel. Yep, Jordan Hugel, there you are, immortalised in West Bromwich Albion folklore as Burke of the Year. Um, fair play, you are dreadful at football. Now, this is, you know, I would say maybe the, the biggest award that we've got, because I have seen comparisons here, because you've heard of the Oscars and the Tonys too, but on this podcast we have the Allens. It's the, uh, it's the Irvine Pardew Memorial <laughs> Trophy. <laughs> Named after Hall of Shame managers Alan Irvine and Alan Pardew. Um, this goes to the worst Albion manager of the season. Um, tough, tough competition this year, guys. Um, the nominees for the Allen are Valerian Ishmael. <laughs> Alan. <laughs> the prestigious Allen. The nominees for the Allen are Valerian Ishmael and Steve Bruce. Who takes home the Allen, Matt? Ah, I think Steve Bruce is very fortunate to not have more blame put on him because obviously he came in when we were in a poor position. I don't think you can really die. He's made us worse. However, I think Ishmael has made a, a bit, uh, has made a lasting effect on, on the club, or at least his effects on the club has last, lasted the season despite him uh, leaving in what, February, start of February. Um, so for me, I think his style of football, his recruitment especially, is why we're in this position of needing an overhaul. For me, he got rid of any sort of talent and replaced it with work ethic, which, yes, you need to have, but in balance. I don't see one midfielder now that can really pick a pass and, uh, and split an opposition defence, which is why I think we need to get Romain Sawyers back next season. But that's a different story. For me, as I said, yet yeah, Bruce is probably fortunate that uh, not as much blame is attributed to him because we had such a, a woeful start and any chance of, uh, of scoring a playoff position faded due to due to Albie's performances under Steve Bruce, but I just can't really ignore uh, the, the lasting effect Ishmael has had. Yeah, um, I will jump in and, and make things 1-1 here because I'm going for Steve Bruce for reasons mentioned earlier in the podcast. Um, I don't hate you, Steve. I'm I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. Um, <laughs> so it's one one all in, in, in the race for the Allen. Um, Louis, you've got the deciding vote here. Um, Where's your vote going? I feel like uh, how they do it on the X Factor when when it goes to deadlock and the head judge has the deciding <laughs> vote. But I, I'm going to give um, the the prestigious Alan uh, to Valerian Ishmael 
I'm sorry, Val. He was a lovely man, but he's 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 going down as as a pretty awful manager. I think Steve Bruce. That the only reason Steve Bruce doesn't get it, and I'm not cutting him any slack. Uh, well, I'm not cutting him much slack at all, but is because I think the damage was done, as Matt said before he had arrived. But yeah, I'm not excusing that poor form whatsoever. And that it's a very tightly run competition. But I think Ishmael was just slightly worse. I think his recruitment, as Matt said, was was a massive part of that. And he has, has done lasting damage for the season. And hopefully that damage can be repaired in the summer. But yeah, congratulations to to Ishmael. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm assuming this is this is going to be uh, a trophy is going to be mailed to his house. I'm, I'm assuming by. Uh, the, the the WBA report podcast, but yeah, I think um, yeah, I think he's he he let himself down uh, this season, and he deserves this award. I suppose if we're factoring in Ishmael's performances at Besiktas, which I don't think have been too good either, he's probably deserving of the uh, of the award, the Allen. Yeah, um, I think I'll for the sake of it being a WBA report podcast, and we've seen what Al Hilal fans are like. I'm I'm not going to speak ill of Besiktas. Leave, leave me out of it. <laughs> don't inundate me with. Uh, Turkish hate. I'm I'm quite all right as I am. Um, yeah, I'm disappointed that you guys have gone against me, but I mean, fair fair dues, fair dues. Um, yeah, we will we will deliver the the Allen to Valerian Ishmael. Um, it'll be it'll be by uh, Alex Mowat. So um, yeah, if, if the delivery is there, it's probably going to be the first man. But um, <laughs> we'll try. Um, yeah, no this this is the um, this is the penultimate award, and this is. The Ricky Lambert Award, which I would like to rename based on who wins it this year. And it's it's awarded to the biggest donkey this season that we've had at the club. Um, and we're talking players who do nothing at all besides make the team worse. Fans hate him. Opposition goalkeepers love them. Um, I would say that Ricky Lambert, Oli Burke, Kenneth Sohor are all former recipients of this award. Um, I've got a feeling we're all going to say the same name here, guys. And it, and it could be... Uh, it could be a big night for a, a sort of Jordan Hugo, but who is getting this season's donkey of the year, the Ricky Lambert? For me, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. There's, no, there's no debate. If there's a man who just all oh, sums up the word donkey, it's Jordan Hugo. He's got everything. You know, he, he challenges 2010 World Cup Emil Heskey to the, to the word donkey. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely agreeing with that. It's it's a big eat all for 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 Jordan Hugo, who's uh, yeah, who's, who's clean sweeps actually so far. I'm I'm really pleased with him. I think this is uh, possibly the only silverware that he is is set to pick up in his career. But yeah, definitely donkey of the year it goes to Jordan Hugo for me. Yeah, I mean, um, I think if you look statistically, there are players playing for Starbridge right now that if they were given a thousand minutes of championship <laughs> football in this side, will outscore him. And that's not me being. Hyperbolic, that's me being honest. Uh, Jordan Fugel, congratulations, mate. You are the Ricky Lambert donkey of the year. Um, and that's because you're ass. Um, right. Podcast moment of the year. I would say that whilst we could go on about the Allen, and it is a huge thing, it's, it's, a, it's a big deal. In our inaugural year as a podcast, it feels poetic. This feels massive to end the ceremony with a look back on our favourite podcasting moment of the season. I mean, we've had a ton of fun on here especially in light of how poor the football has been. But I think it's only right to present this award. We should ask Louis if you do the honours as our guest tonight and announce the winner of the WBA Report podcast moment of the season. There could only be one nominee. It was a short list of one. But Louis, if you'd like yeah. to tell us who's won this award. It's, it's an absolute honour, firstly, may I say, to, to, to be asked to 
to, to present this and I was quite frankly shocked when I heard this uh, off, off air and yes it's, it's an absolute pleasure to be to be announcing this award um, but the winner of the WBA report podcast moment of the season is Kieran selecting Carl Bartley for his best Albion 11 of the 21st century goodness me yeah so I've gone for Macaulay as well and then perhaps I don't know whether controversial is the right word but I've actually gone for Bartley um, Ooh. Yeah, so I think I don't know. Sorry, Kieran. Oh, I, uh, I'm fuming I'm with that. We'll ex- <laughs> we'll ex- Come on, Kieran, mate. Kyle Bartley. Oh. <laughs> you say that as if he's a dosser. <laughs> <laughs> he is a bit of a dosser, mate. Yeah, I've fair. called him that a few times. Or worse. <laughs> I don't know. I think I'm maybe saying this not under the assumption, but we're second in the league. I think we're going to go up. He'll have been a part of two promotions. He'll have leaded the way in that sense. I think he's our best centre-back this season. I think he was the best centre-back for the large parts of last season. And to be part of two two, champ- two promotions to the Premier League, like I say, hasn't happened yet. We'll see how this ages. To be part of two champ- championship promotions to the Premier League and to be such an integral part of that team. I mean, now, now that I've actually come out and said it, <laughs> you guys have said Darren Moore and Johnny Evans. I might, I'd, I might be feeling a bit silly, but I'll, I'll back it. I'll back myself. So brilliantly announced as well. Very professionally. <laughs> Thank Brilliant. you. Thank you. Been watching too much uh, of the Brit Awards, I think. Did it justice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's just, that, that feels like such a massive moment for the podcast. And I was saying whilst we were, um, before we were recording tonight, that it's the one bit of WBA report, like podcast law that will live on forever. It's always, it's always mentioned. We always refer back to it. It's, it, it truly is. For a word that's used a lot, iconic. Um, I, I love that. I love that moment. And bless you, Kieran. I wish you were here tonight to to accept this award. But um, do you know what? We, we've got the next best thing in having the Louis Bent present it. What a moment! What a what a moment in history for this podcast. And there we have it. What a fitting way to end the ceremony and today's episode. I mean, hopefully our next instalment will see Louis return for another equally special episode but you'll have to wait and see what that's all about. Um, thanks as always to Matt and uh, a big, big thank you um, to Louis for coming on. It's always a pleasure. Um, what's in store for you and the Baggies podcast in the off season, mate? Yeah, we're, we're going to try our best to to, uh, to cobble together some content, maybe a few like tier lists, some keep or sell sort of podcasts maybe coming up over the season. We've got a season review uh, coming out over the next uh, couple of weeks as well, hopefully. Uh, yeah, just trying to keep things sticking over and keep keep uh, all things Albion going, really. But yeah, it's been a massive pleasure to come on and, and I'm looking forward to uh, an, another special episode coming up uh, very soon with yourselves. Yeah, I can't wait either, mate. And um, everyone who's listening, make sure you keep a lookout for what's going on with the Baggies podcast. Uh, that's your go-to for all kind of fan reaction. And I'm sure you'll keep things interesting in what may be a particularly bleak off-season. We'll have to wait and see. But uh, Matt, any final thoughts from you? No, just thank you to Louis for joining us um, once again tonight and uh, throughout the whole whole season too. And thank you, Ronan. You've been a, a brilliant compatriot uh, and someone who, as we mentioned earlier on at the start of the episode, I've loved doing this with throughout the whole season. It's quite an emotional one. Yeah, I've actually enjoyed recording this podcast more than actually watching the games themselves. So yeah, it's uh, it, it, it's the end of, a, of, of an era, I suppose, but the start of a, of, a, of a new dawn heading into the summer where I can only promise the podcast will get bigger and better. So yeah, thank you, mate. It's been a pleasure. It's been wonderful. I've, I've really enjoyed this. 
this season off the pitch far more than I have on it. And um, that is thanks to to you and Kira and Louis too and, and everyone that's kind of been a part of our, our burgeoning little story of podcasting here at WBA Report. Um, I hope the listeners have enjoyed it as much as we have. I hope they've enjoyed today as much as we have. Um, and fingers crossed, we'll see Louis back for our next episode alongside Matt, which I'm super pumped for because it may be an end of season quiz. It may not be. Uh, do also keep your <laughs> eyes peeled for that. But for now, just like this season, we'll wave the listeners goodbye. Keep an eye on what we've got going on here. Keep an eye on what we've got going on at the Baggies podcast. And we'll see you soon. There's one thing for sure, guys. Those corn dogs have promised if DK fired us the promotion, are certainly not coming in anytime soon. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the WBA Reports Podcast. For news, views, and all things Albion, follow at WBA Reports on Twitter and check out WBAreports.com.